Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. was Blue Boy with Grave Fission. Hey there friends, I'm Nuclear Yuki and welcome once again to a nuclear reading show. Today we're continuing on with Kcat's Fallout Equestria. If you're enjoying what I'm bringing to the cold dark wasteland, don't be afraid to tell your friends about me or find me on Twitter as Nuclear Yuki. It's a big help. Oh and a bit of a disclaimer, since the gangs can be a bit feisty, Fallout is owned by Bethesda and Hasbro made My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. With all that said and done, welcome, friends, to the Wasteland. Chapter 37, The Shadow of the Ministries, Part 2. Oh, goddesses! Velvet Remedy whimpered. Little Pip! I was studying the elevator schematic steel hooves had found on my pit buck. Velvet had been watching me, and I realised what she had just seen. I looked at her, then looked away and nodded. I didn't have anything to say. Steel hooves whinnied. I put up a hoof, signalling for him to say nothing. I didn't know if his words would be in I told you so, or a guilt-laden apology, and I didn't think I could handle either. I'd saved him, and it had cost me a bit of my poniness. What was done, was done. I couldn't say I didn't regret it, but I could say I would do it again, even knowing the outcome. Really? 
I said, feeling a hitch in my throat. It's not that bad. I hardly notice the itch anymore. I shifted my attention to the shaft and the elevator below. I focused, reaching out, attempting to manifest my magic on the far side of the shield. This was a bit of a new trick, but there was no reason it shouldn't work. I remembered the super alicorn from the Philadelphia crater whose shield was so powerful she couldn't manifest magic through it. This shield was nothing compared to that one. I thought of Velvet Remedy casting her anesthetic spell inside the alicorn's shield. I could do this. I was satisfied to see the glow of my magic surround the elevator car. I focused on the thick yet simple clamps beneath, rotating the screws that held them together until I heard them fall apart. Concentrating, I slowly lifted the elevator car upwards, pulling it towards the energy shield. I held my breath as the top of the car reached the field of blue light. Moment of truth. Was Velvet right? The car continued to lift, gliding through the field as if it was nothing but a film of water. I exhaled gratefully. In moments, it was hovering in front of us. I pushed the car's clattering gate open. Phillies and gentle colts, I announced with a sweeping bow. Your chariot awaits. As I floated the elevator car down towards the basement, Velvet Remedy and I rode alone. The three of us had barely gotten onto the elevator when we realised the problem. With Steelhoof's extra bulk, there was barely enough room for the three of us. There was no way we would be able to fit Calamity in two, or manoeuvre. Steelhoof's pointed out if there was a turret waiting for us at the bottom. Instead, we had left our Steel Ranger outcast standing guard over Calamity's packs, the duffel bag, and most of our weapons. Calamity would just have to wait to put on his battle saddle again. I tapped my forehooves together tentatively. I stared at the floor of the elevator. Finally, I asked Velvet, Little Macintosh? Velvet Remedy hissed. Wrong question. I was startled by the vehemence in her voice. You should have asked about Pyolite. Oh, I felt a twinge of guilt. Pyolite's not in the building according to the security system. She never got trapped in... I stopped, feeling a sinking sensation that chilled my heart and stole my breath. The elevator car stopped moving with a jolt as my eyes widened. If Pyolite never made it inside, that meant she was still out in the pink. A whole night in the cloud meant death. I asked her to get our things as I brought steel hooves inside, Velvet said morosely. But I got magically thrown into that prison, that chamber, before I could prop the door open for her. Velvet looked at me with a heartbreaking expression. I have to imagine she gathered little Macintosh and all your precious weapons, hoarded them someplace, then sat outside and waited for me. I cringed, a whimper strangling in my throat, but Velvet shook her head. Pyolite's a smart bird. She's a survivor. I have to believe she wouldn't wait that long, that she'd fly out of the cloud, out of Cantalot, maybe all the way to Glyphmark and Zenith. She turned away but I saw the drops fall from her, marking dark spots on the floor. As long as the pink cloud didn't get worse too quickly, as long as she wasn't taken by surprise, I have to believe that. Speaking with confidence I didn't really have, I assured her that she was right. I started the elevator downward again. Tell me where it is! The mayor's voice called out grating across my brain. My ears had popped. Clank. No! 
The Trixie-like second voice echoed in my head. The air shimmered around us. My lungs fought for breath. Clink, clank. Unchain us! Your goddess demands it! Velvet Remedy and I slithered across the tiled basement floor, pushing aside topple boxes of grain and shattered plates, dropped kitchen knives and leaking packages of flour. At first, we had crouched to be stealthy, but now we did it just to breathe. No. no. If I unchain us, you'll kill us both. You are trying to kill me already. Better we both should perish. Clink, clank, clink. I coughed, my abused lungs struggling for air. The sound was high and tight, not like a pony's cough at all. And that worried me. Velvet Remedy did the same. Her cough's more like a newborn squeak toy than any noise that should come from Velvet's throat. We both froze ears perking and swivelling, as we prayed the kitchen's other occupant hadn't heard us. We must throw the party! Our goddess demands it! The alicorn hadn't heard us. She was too busy arguing with, as far as I could tell, herself. I reached the end of the counter and peeked around it cautiously. The forest green alicorn was wrapped in heavy chains that bound her to a thick set of pipes in the ceiling. She stood there, looking around frantically. Searching for something. A frightened but intelligent look in her eyes. Suddenly, her demeanour changed. Her eyes locking forward with a glare and her face contorting in rage. She lunged, throwing herself against the chains that bound her. I am your goddess! The Trixie-like voice raged. It wasn't the actual voice of the goddess, but some strange, pale imitation that echoed through my head. I realised her mouth wasn't moving. Everything I was hearing was in my head. All of it. But how was that possible? The pink cloud hindered the Alicorn's telepathy. I was sure of it. It cut them off from their goddess, allowed them to regain some of their individuality again. Granted, while the kitchens were full of some sort of gas, it wasn't the pink cloud. But there was pink cloud all around the building. Even as I thought that, my eyes drifted to the Alicorn's flank and caught there. The alicorn had a cutie mark. It looked odd, like maybe a mist of stars, but I couldn't be sure. The mere fact that the alicorn had one at all shook my conceptions. The alicorn's flanks quivered with effort as she lunged again, the chains pulling taut, holding her back. I followed her gaze. It looked like she was trying to get to the ovens. I helped you. I was there for you when she was silent. I whispered to you when you couldn't bear the silence in your head. I coddled you. Me, not her. The not-trixy voice ranted. And you betray me. I will kill you for that. Without the goddess, I had surmised that the Alagons were cut off from their collective pool of magic. That they were just left with their inherent magics. The Alicorn shields and maybe a spell or two. I had to revise that theory. Or not. Purple alicorns teleport, blue ones turn invisible. The green ones do that weird statue thing. But what if that was part of a broader gift? The green alicorns were the telepaths, even cut off from the goddess, and they still had their gift. If anything, the goddess probably borrowed that magical talent from them. I felt Velvet Remedy slide past me, slipping ahead. I looked back to the alicorn. This was our mission. The original voice was back. The alicorn stopped struggling and resumed her search. I froze again as she looked right past me and missed me. The alicorn was showing raider-tier obliviousness. 
We are so close. I will not fail now. I watched her muzzle, but her mouth never moved. This whole argument was taking place in her head, and by extension, in ours. And then I saw something that rocked me. The Alicorn's cutie mark had faded away, reminding me of a filly in my class back in Stable 2 who tried to have her father conjure up her cutie mark early using magic. Each time a new mark would appear, only to fade away, just like this. Only the Alicorn's cutie mark didn't just fade away. A cutie mark of a flask with green bubbling green liquid replaced it. The Alicorn's new cutie mark struck a chord of deja vu. I'd seen it before. A moment later, the Alicorn's demeanour changed again. And as I watched, the bubbling flask cutie mark faded and the starry mist resumed its place. Why? Why go back to her? I'm better. I'm here only for you. Always. I began to crawl away, shaken and a little freaked out by what I had seen. Your cutie mark is an integral part of you, a symbol of your special talent. How could it change like that? Even when you were depressed, even when you were at your worst, you were still you. Your cutie mark never abandoned you. And I'm better at magic too. She said it couldn't be done. No small rodents of any kind, she said. But I did it. I'm the one who found the spell. I'm the one who cast it while you whimpered in a corner. Calamity was curled up in the far corner of a small cell behind both a magical shield and a locked gate. I had to hold my breath while I hacked the security terminal that dropped the shield. And even a yard up, the air became impossible to breathe. Cracking the computer took me several tries. It was difficult to concentrate, especially with the Alicorn's telepathic argument being broadcast non-stop in my head. The moment the shield had vanished, Velvet and I scrambled on our bellies to his cell. Velvet reached her hooves between the bars, touching them to his as he slid close. Don't! He squeaked, seeing me eye the lock. I froze, not from his warning, but the high-pitched, squeaky voice that had come out of his muzzle. Hydrogen. He squeaky warned. The air's full of it. One spark from your gun or your horn and we're all roast. It was like listening to a small woodland creature, only cuter and sillier. I snorted, trying to hold in a laugh. I tried to distract myself with the seriousness of our situation. You'd think, the terminal entry had said, after all the work we'd put in the talismans for their ridiculous balloons... They'd be more cooperative. The Ministry of Magic had created hydrogen talismans for the Ministry of Morale. There was probably one in the high-security storage down here, and it had been activated. But if I couldn't use magic or weapons, how was I going to get Calamity's cell open? Better fix something out fast, little pip. The woodland critter voice coming from Calamity insisted. This place is going to become unbreathable in give it another hour. I reckon the only reason it's taken this long is because this place is huge. I covered my muzzle with both forehooves, tears in my eyes. I can't mention it there being a hanger down here. He added squeakily. That did it. I couldn't hold it in anymore. Despite my difficulty breathing, I found myself laughing so hard I was rolling on the floor. The high-pitched sounds of my own laughter just made me guffaw harder. Yeah, yuck it up, why don't you? Calamity glowered at me, and now even Velvet was laughing. But would one of y'all kindly get the damn key and get me out of here before that alicorn drops me crazy? He was hilarious. I stomped a hoof on the floor, dying. Sing something first. Velvet Remedy suggested, her own voice even higher. Calamity snorted.
Thank y'all, Calamity said as he slipped something pink into his pack. I blinked, realizing he'd managed to pilfer something even under these conditions. Now let's get out of here before that crazy laden downstairs manages to blow this building up to the enclave. Calamity suggested urgently as he shrugged on his battle saddle, his voice almost back to normal. Velvet Remedy looked fretfully back at the elevator shaft. I... I wish I had a way to help her, she said softly. What? Help the crazy alicorn? Why? Velvet Remedy gave Calamity a stern look. She's obviously suffering. Can you imagine having someone in your head as a constant companion for lifetimes, and then suddenly losing her? I saw her cutie marks. Marks? Calamity asked. As in, plural? Velvet nodded. One of them was from one of the ponies on those videos the goddess showed us. I believe the Alicorn was one of the first. She's had the goddess in her mind for centuries. Velvet looked back to the elevator again. And then to come here and suddenly lose that? I'm not surprised she was traumatized. I'm surprised more aren't. Calamity raised his eyebrows. So the pink cloud is making Alicorns insane. That settles it. We need to go to the castle. What? I'll explain later. Just let's get out of here. Within minutes, we were galloping through the lobby. Panting, I stopped and looked out at the wall of pink cloud. It wasn't lethally thick yet, not like the places where it pooled, but it was bad enough to filter out most of the light. It was past dawn, and it looked like it was past dusk. Was there anything you could have said, maybe? I wondered, seeing how distraught Velvet was beginning to look. Pylite was nowhere in sight, which was a good thing, realistically, but it had to be feeding her distress. The pretty unicorn shook her head, her white mane and its coloured stripes whipping about. No, little Pip. The only way to help the poor thing now is with years of therapy, she said, looking at me sadly. You can't heal true psychological trauma with a super restoration potion, or with a quick conversation of pretty words and psychobabble. I was right, Calamity announced, and I hate to say I told you so. Nah, after that singing bit, I'm downright happy to say I told you so. He landed in front of the doors of the Ministry of Arcane Sciences and stared at us. So? I told you so. Told us what? Velvet asked politely as we trotted up to him. What's singing? Steelhooves questioned. I found myself snickering again. Calamity nickered, rolling his eyes. The zebra's mega spell. It's still going. Sorta. I stopped snickering. Where is it? What do you mean, sort of? Velvet questioned. We should leave this building. Stillhooves reminded us. Calamity nodded to him. Rat, I'll tell you when we get next door. It was morning, and we'd lost a good chunk of a day, and the pink cloud was going to be thick enough that we wanted to make the rest of the journey in small bits. Next door to the Ministry of Technology, then across to the Ministry of Image, finally from there to the Ministry of Awesome. Hopefully the rest of the Ministry buildings would be more like the Ministry of Peace than this one. We opened the door and charged into the cloud. The distance we had to cross was less than a city block. I was sure we could make it easily. No distractions. Look! Velvet shouted, pointing to one of the garbage bins alongside the building. There was a smear on it that looked like a flame. I groaned inwardly, rolling my eyes and trotted over to it. Calamity was faster and already had it open by the time I got there. Inside were our weapons and gear. Pilot had stashed them in the bin and marked it. With bird shit. Not wanting to risk leaving anything behind, I floated the contents of the garbage bin out and carried it with us. Refuse and all. The alicorns were on us. 
their shields up before we've made it halfway. Steelhoofs turned and opened fire, but Spitfire's thunder was somewhere in a mass of rotten rubbish floating behind me, and none of the weapons we had at the ready could penetrate those shields. So we ran, panting, galloping for the doors of the Ministry of Technology as fast as we could. The doors were glass. The entire front facade of the Ministry was glass. A matrix of clear panes that rose three stories high. The rest of the building had an elegant simplicity. Stately, functional, with an almost masculine grace. The king on the chessboard. I somehow hoped the glass was reinforced, otherwise the alicorns would just plough through it. The steps up to the Ministry building were piled with the skeletons of long dead ponies. I raced by a unicorn stallion whose hooves had sunken into the concrete steps and jumped the body of a younger mare whose bones had taken on the pattern of the dress she was wearing on the day of the pink cloud. I noticed the jumble of skeletons blanketing the marble floor inside the Ministry's grand foyer as well, but I didn't think anything of it until I telekinetically pulled open the glass doors and charged into a flood of static. I screamed as fresh but familiar agony skewered my brain. I stumbled and turned toward the exit, only to see my friends race into the room and all but steel hooves get slammed to the floor. Outside, the Alicorns landed, closing the doors and stood there, holding them closed with their shields. We'd been herded into a trap. I looked around, dropping the garbage I was carrying onto the skeletons of several dead ponies as I frantically searched. I almost immediately spotted three, and before I could focus to pull up a weapon I'd spotted two more. There are dozens! Velvet Remedy squealed, clutching her head, blood running out of her eyes and ears. Lashing out with my magic, I tried to wrap all of the skeletons, intending to toss the whole contents of the room up into one of the mezzanines above. Excruciating torture ripped through my horn, blackening my vision. Somewhere, I heard a voice shouting, Shut them down! Then, for the second time in half a day, I passed out. The Star Orb I was locked into what seemed like the longest, most boring memory ever. My host was skimming over sheets of paperwork, non-disclosure contracts, agreements to drug and loyalty testing, acceptance of possible mandatory relocation, and so on. Each sheet bore an emblem of a large star ringed by smaller ones and circumcised by a horn and wings. Each had the header of an official Ministry of Arcane Technologies document. My host was either a speed reader, or she wasn't really reading that closely. Occasionally she would look up, glancing sheepishly at the bored mare sitting behind her desk, or watching the door beside the desk. The first time she did so, I realised I knew where we were by the fanciful design on the door and the ornate lighting. This was Tempony Tower. My host never looked up long enough though before returning to the clipboard filled with the paperwork. Every so often, she would levitate a quill, dipping it in ink, and sign her name. Trixie. We looked up, Trixie and I, when the door opened and a smiling Twilight Sparkle stepped out. Trixie, I'm very happy you could make it. I... I would not have missed this opportunity. We quickly signed the last page and floated the clipboard to the mare at the desk, who was now sitting at the sort of alert attention that only comes from ponies who are slacking just before their boss walked in. Please come in, Twilight said, standing aside. Slowly, almost humbly, Trixie stepped through the doorway. Inside was a nice office, not ostentatious in the slightest, mostly filled with shelves holding books and various knickknacks of magical or personal importance. As Trixie's eyes wandered over the room, I spotted a jar with several delicate purple-spotted lavender shards floating in a preserving liquid. 
the jar was labelled Spike's Egg. Twilight Sparkle walked in behind us, closing the door, and moved around to sit at her desk. She looked over her desk with a slight frown, and, apparently deciding it seemed too formal, walked back around the desk and sat on a floor cushion, offering another to Trixie. Miss, uh, Sparkle, Trixie began. I could feel her nervousness. Oh, please, call me Twilight, she beamed. So, tell me, have you been working on any new tricks lately? I felt my host stammer a moment, then draw herself up, breathing deeply. With a prideful voice, she boasted, Why, yes! In fact, just the other day, I invented an invisibility spell. Would you like to see? Twilight Sparkle blinked. You invented an invisibility spell? Indeed! Have you never known another unicorn who could do this? I felt the surge of magic as my horn cast her spell, and Twilight Sparkle gasped. You... Trixie, you're actually invisible! Twilight reached out, prodding us with a hoof, making sure we were actually still there and hadn't just teleported away. That, that's amazing! I felt the spell ebb and then collapse. It clearly wasn't long-lasting. Still, Trixie sat up, smiling broadly. See? Am I not still the great and powerful Trixie? Twilight gazed at her. A seconds ticked by. I could feel sweat bead on my host's forehead. And you invented this spell yourself? Why, yes, I... All at once, Trixie seemed to deflate. No. She stared at the floor, scuffing it with her hoof. I mean, yes, I created the spell... But only after I got a hold of one of the new stealth bucks and figured out how to cast the magic myself. Twilight's expression softened. Thank you for being honest with me. Trixie nodded. I'll see myself out. No, Twilight said swiftly. No, it's all right. I'm still really impressed. Those stealth bucks were created by my ministry. Trixie winced. And we reverse engineered them from Zebra Magic. But none of my unicorns have been able to recreate it in spell form. I have a whole division in Cantalot who have spent years trying to do what you just did and failing. Trixie looked up again, surprised. I felt a burning in her eyes. She was holding back tears. What you've done is incredible. You should be proud. And don't be nervous, you've already got the job. Twilight Sparkle smiled. That is if you still want it. I hope all that up there didn't put you off. Oh, no, not at all, Trixie said hurriedly. I really want to work for the ministry, your ministry. And then in a softer voice, and I need this job. Oh, dear, Twilight's eyes widened. Trixie, what happened? Well, you know, she sighed. Things did not go well for me after Ponyville. I'd lost my home. Word spread about how you defeated that Ursa Minor and how I... She shook her head. I was a laughingstock, only I was too proud and blind to see it. My shows started bringing jeers instead of cheers, and then they stopped bringing any pony at all. Money ran out. No pony would hire the great and powerful Trixie. I had to take unpleasant jobs. Trixie looked aside. Things actually got better for me when the war started. Ponies stopped caring about my reputation. It was long enough ago and they had other things to hate. Oh, oh, Trixie, I never knew. Trixie looked into Twilight's concerned expression, then at the floor. Honestly, I'm surprised you would want me here. Twilight smiled. Well, 
I remember you as a skilled and talented unicorn with an impressive repertoire of spells. And I'm happy to have you with us. I have a new project and I need volunteers. She paused. There is one thing. You'll have to allow us to record one of your memories. Trixie's eyes widened. You... you want to see my memories? Twilight Sparkle shook her head. Just one of them, and the memory of this meeting will do just fine. Trixie looked askance. This one? Well, that's not so bad then, but why? This war, Twilight Sparkle explained, will be won by the sight of superior magic. We're working on a potion that will transform a normal pony into... She paused and then spit it out. Into an alicorn. Trixie gasped. And no, I'm not joking. We're ready to test it. And I wanted to ask you to be the first. Twilight Sparkle looked nervous. She understood the gravity of what she was asking of my host, even if Trixie really did not. An alicorn? You mean like Princess Celestia? And Princess Luna, yes. Twilight's tone was very serious. This is transformation magic of the highest order. We will need a memory of yours for comparison, before and after. We don't think that being changed into an alcohol will affect your psyche, but we can't be sure. With that, she put a gentle hoof on Trixie. We've taken every precaution. I wouldn't ask any pony to do this if I wasn't absolutely sure and that it would be safe. But still, I know it is asking a lot. Too much. This potion would change who you are, what you are. Trixie gulped. If you don't want to do this, you can back out at any time. Twilight Sparkle smiled. And I promise you'll still have a job with the Ministry. I'll make sure of it. Trixie was silent for a long time. I could feel a tremor pass through her. But then, slowly and softly, she said, I... I'll do it. I don't mind being changed. I'm not the greatest fan of who I am anymore. Haven't been for a long time. Maybe, maybe this way I'll actually be able to be who I thought I was. Twilight Sparkle's eyes danced with joy. Then welcome to the Ministry of Arcane Sciences, Trixie. If you don't mind, I'd like to get started right away. Twilight Sparkle stood up abruptly, moving towards the door. Are you free the rest of this weekend? I'd like you to come out to Maripony with me. I've got a couple ponies who I'd really like you to meet. She let out a little squee. Oh, I can't wait to see their faces when you turn invisible. Who? Trixie asked as my host got up, trotting after her. Twilight turned back with a smile. Gestalt and Mosaic. They're my head researchers. Twins and some of the most amazing spellcasters you'll ever meet. With a sheepish grin. Next to you and I, of course. I normally leave them in charge of my ministry having Cantalot. But they're at Maripony now, overseeing final preparations. You'll like them. They have a cute way of finishing each other's sentences. Twilight grinned. And you'll want to hear something really impressive. I've seen them finish each other's spells, too. Finishing each other's thoughts and each other's spells. The foundations for telepathy and spell sharing. An epiphany washed over me. I suddenly understood why there were three breeds of alicorn. Why they had the abilities they did. And even why all the alicorns were female. Dozens of ponies were absorbed into what had become the goddess. But it was Trixie's mind which became dominant. The behaviour of my host wasn't much like that of the goddess, but there were shadows of her there. The goddess was lurking in some part of her psyche, just waiting to be tapped. But it wasn't just Trixie who held power. 
There were four ponies within the amalgam that formed the goddess, who are powerful enough to exert influence over the Alicorn's creation process. Blue is invisibility. Purple can teleport. The greens are telepathic and can work together to create greater effects with their shields. Four ponies, all mares. I wondered if the goddess consumed me. Would a new breed of Alicorns begin with extra-powerful telekinesis? Would Red-Eye be only able to create Alicorn stallions? My thoughts were interrupted as Trixie stopped, asking nervously. And they'll be impressed? With me? Oh, I guarantee it! I kept my eyes closed, holding to the peace of rest just a little while longer. I was alive, and I felt uninjured. Even the headaches had gone away. I wanted to stay like that just a little while longer. Because waking up meant returning to my life, and that meant pain. It also meant friends. I had no desire to stay asleep forever. Just a little while longer. A few minutes. That was all I wanted. The noises around me were strange. Gravelly voices, the clopping of hoofsteps, and the high-pitched whine that had been ever-present throughout my childhood. The alicorns had set a trap. A scarily clever one. When I'd fallen into the reflecting pool, the alicorns had observed how I dealt with the traps using my telekinesis, and they had not only anticipated it, but used it against me with the trap that attacked me faster through my magic. The realisation was terrifying, and I had no idea why it didn't work, but they should have killed us all. My eyes opened to the overly familiar sight of a stable clinic ceiling. Wait, what? Welcome to Stable City rumbled the voice of a stallion standing nearby. His eyes glowed as his rotted body shambled towards me, the filthy evening cloak on his back having melted into his skin. I looked about. The architecture hit all the familiar stable notes, but every pony around me was a canterlot ghoul. The ghoul stallion stomped, drawing my attention. Now we have treated you and your friends. Consider that on the house for the show your party put on yesterday. We in Stable City are willing to extend the benefit of the doubt to any pony that those monsters hate so much. He reached up a fettered hoof and tapped my horn warningly. I could see he wore a pit buck. It was melted to his flesh like mine. Only his had a broadcaster attached, or that had mercifully been switched off. But only so far. The broadcasters out in the foyer keep those monsters outside. Most of us have taken to wearing them as well, in case we need to step out. He saw my eyes widen. Ah, don't worry. None of us keep them on while we're inside. The static is highly annoying. Unless you're on guard patrol, or unless you give us a reason to. One wrong step, and every citizen of Stable City becomes walking death to you living folk. So would you and your breather friends behave now, clear? I nodded. Very clear. Now, I believe there is someone who has been waiting. The ghoul stallion began only to be cut off by the sound of a squeal from Velvet Remedy somewhere nearby. Ah, it seems to have found your other unicorn first. The ghoul concluded, but I had already jumped down and was racing through the clinic, dodging between ghouls. I slid to a stop as I spotted Velvet, and then trotted forward, feeling a warm smile break across my muzzle. She was sitting up in a medical bed, her face full of joy, with pyelite dancing gleefully through the air around her. Good day, gentle ghouls of Stable City, you miserable rotting slaps of ambulatory meat. The floating robot called out, greeting random citizens of Stable City as they passed it in the hall. Calamity walked beside me, 
having found the hallway of the stable too confining to fly in. The ghouls gave us odd and curious looks as they passed. A little pip, you lost part of yourself, Calamity was saying. I looked down at my pip-buck foreleg, and a pained frown immediately swept over my muzzle. I forced myself to smile. More like I had something added, actually. Don't go using specific details to murder the issue, Calamity warned. The truth is, a loss like that pains a pony. And I'm not talking just physically. And it ain't brave to pretend you ain't hurting. And ain't smart neither. I stayed silent. When Velvet Remedy lost her leg, Calamity recalled, she was a rat mess, even after she got it back. I'm sorry, Calamity, I chuckled wryly, but I don't think I'll be indulging in the same therapy. Don't be a man of cause back, sad little pip, Calamity said crossly. When we get out of here, we need to go back to Tempony Tower and y'all need to spend... No, I barked. I looked at Calamity, his wings up and his eyes wide, clearly taken back by my abruptness and the strength of my refusal. More pleasantly... I complained. We've become experts at not getting what we need to do done. After Cantalot, we go right to Splendid Valley. No more delays, no more side quests, no more distractions. We get the damn job done. Calamity didn't speak for a while. In the background, I could hear the robot saying, Hello, ma'am. I do hope the morning finds you in good health. As if that could ever happen. We rounded the corner and found ourselves looking at a stable atrium. The place had been renovated to hold a plethora of shops and small stands where cantaloupe ghouls traded goods and services for bits and wares. As we started down the stairs, Calamity asked me softly, Are you okay, little Pip? It was a stupid question considering the conversation immediately prior, but I ignored that as I heard the concern in his voice. I'm weary, Calamity. I'm getting worn out, I admitted dourly. I just need this job to be over. To get out from under this threat, this mission. I looked up, scanning the stable city marketplace. And then, after that, I can rest. Maybe when this is over, I'll just lay down and take a nap for a century or few. But not before. We reached the bottom of the steps. The place looked like a right lively little necropolis. The only thing that struck me as missing was any sort of diner or foodstuffs vendor. I supposed ghouls didn't really need those. I was suddenly keenly aware of how hungry I was, and how long it had been since I had eaten. How about you? I asked in return as we approached a store labelled Calibers Guns and Ammo. Me? I'm doing... He paused as I turned to him and pointedly raised an eyebrow. It ain't fair throwing my own words back at me. I didn't say anything. He neighed. Then, brushing his brow beneath his desperado hat, he admitted, I'm not doing so good, actually. I keep thinking about those bandits back at Abu, and the ponies up at Buckling Cross. He frowned. And now the bandits I could rightly live with. According to the old man, half of them came from Abu. But they were still bandits, and they were still ambushing a merchant. He looked at me. I know y'all think being a bandit is a downright noble step off from being what the folks in Abu were. But from my perspective, the moment those folks in Abu started killing folk for their meat, they were no better than bandits. I nodded. My own feelings were considerably different, but my horrific actions in Arbu voided any validity that those feelings may have had. But Buckling Cross? That's another matter. Calamity shook his head, nickering bitterly. We went there demanding something, and ended up killing him for it. That? My jaw dropped. Calamity, that's not how it went down at all. We tried to negotiate, and they fired first. 
We were trying to get something they didn't need to give ponies who were suffering without it. We had something to trade and we were trying. They risked their elder's life. We... we weren't raiders. Ain't it? He asked me, clearly unsure. Ain't it just a little how that went down? I stomped, shaking my head. Oh! Still unconvinced, Calamity stepped up to the door of the weapons shop. If you take from the rich and give to the poor, you're still just a raider, he said as the door slid up. No, I said firmly. You're not. A bandit maybe at best, but not a raider. And you know better. I couldn't believe my kleptomaniac Pegasus was arguing this. Some would call you a hero. Buckling Cross had been disturbing Calamity deeply for his thoughts to have plunged into such uncharacteristic and messy logic. Maybe Velvet was right and we all needed years of therapy. Stepping into the store after him, I put a hoof on his shoulder. Then, not knowing how else to help, I hugged him. Not in my shop! The little dead colt behind the store counter coughed in disgust. If you're looking for that, it's two floors up. The Colt shoved the missiles across the counter to Calamity. One or two of these anti-armor missiles are pretty much guaranteed to take down an Alicorn's shield and make a very pretty mess of the winged bitch inside. He looked to what Calamity was offering in return. Leave it to Calamity to not only retrieve all of our weapons and supplies, but go through the garbage for anything else that might be good for a trade. This will get you these five. Toss in one of those magical energy weapons and I can give you all eight. Calamity raised an eyebrow. He was no velvet remedy. But he had a fair bartering chop of his own, and I could tell he thought he was being snookered. Three missiles don't equal a top of the land magical energy weapon, not even if in their fancy as you claim they are. The cult bit. Oh, they are. What are the benefits of living in the Ministry of Wartime Technology? We have all sorts of tars you living folk haven't even heard of. I was willing to bet he was right. I was also willing to bet most of it was either in questionable prototype stages, or stock too limited a supply to sell. If these work so well against the Alicorn shields, then why haven't used them against the Alicorns? I asked reasonably. It had been hard not to glean that the ghouls of Stable City had been fighting with the Alicorns since they started showing up in Cantalot ruins about a decade ago. From the impression I got, the ghouls were losing, and now effectively contained in the ministry they now called home. The cult frowned. Eight missiles are not much use against a few dozen of those winged bitches. The magic rifle, on the other hoof, can rack up quite the kill count over a couple of years of sniping. Calamity whinnied. Well then, that sounds to me like the raffle is worth all eight. But I'll give it to you for six, and we can call me the element of generosity. The cult made the trade. Although from his expression, he'd be calling Calamity quite a few other things shortly after we left. Now, why do y'all have a raffle ammo? The cult shook his head, giving a snorting chuckle. I'm sorry, but I can't help you. If you want ammo, you'll have to look somewhere else. Calamity blinked, and then made an exaggerated act of reading the store sign. I thought you were the name of the Star Wars Calibers, Guns, and Ammo. How do you not have ammo? You only sell two things. <laughs> the ghoul said a little dryly. My ammo's all stored in an ammo vendor for safekeeping. Only the damn thing is busted and I can't get it to dispense. So, no ammo. Calamity began to smile. Oh, I bet I could fix that for you. For what you say, a 10% discount on ammo? I thought Velvet would have been so proud. The ghoul's eyes lit up, literally, as he asked... Definitely, if you're sure you can do it. Calamity laughed. Well, with the number of times I've broken into the things to pilfer them, I reckon it might just do Makama some good to be fixing one up for once. He gave me a wink. 
Her early conversation still hung in the air, but it was good to see Calamity in brighter spirits. Calamity rubbed his hoof on the colt's head. Don't worry, Uncle Calamity will have it all taken care of. He flew over the counter and trotted back towards the modified Ironshot's Ammo Emporium vending machine, leaving the colt staring back at him in disdainful amusement. I'm a century older than you! So, what can you tell me about this place? I asked Calibur, the twelve-decade-old cantaloupe ghoul in the body of a colt as we watched Calamity work. He had half the machine taken apart already, and occasionally graced us with an a yup or a dang nabbit. It's a gun shop, Calibur snarked. I sell guns and usually ammo. I meant Stable City, I clarified. We're new here. Calibur put on airs of false surprise. Really? You mean there haven't been two breathers living in Stable City that I just hadn't noticed? I brushed it off, asking, Well, how did a group of ghouls end up living in a stable? Calibur sighed, quickly giving up and deflating my desire to pester him with questions. Stable One was built to protect the princesses, the nobility, government officials, and the higher-ups of the ministries. Or at least that was what Stable Tech told every pony. They built Stable One into this building because apparently the top ponies of Stable Tech and the Ministry of Wartime Technology were real chummy. Well, yes, they were sisters. Anyway, when the Pink Cloud came, a whole bunch of ponies from all around, mostly from the castle and the ministries, tried to gallop over to Stable One, hoping they could get in. After all, while they were safe from the Pink Cloud and entered the Ministry buildings, except possibly from the Ministry of Peace, only Stable One had a long-term food supply. It was come here or starve. Of course, all those ponies had to run through the cloud to get here, and a whole lot of them didn't make it. Those who did found the fuckers already in Stable One had closed it early, and they were once again trapped in a safe haven without food. And when most of them expired overnight, having suffered just enough exposure to turn them into ghouls, they didn't need food anymore after that, so it worked out. Karmic justice, since Stable Tech pretty much killed all the ponies in Stable One. The ghouls already started a town inside the building by the time it had opened up. When they'd added the resources of Stable One, the town became Stable City. I listened intently. Well, how about you? I asked Caliber once he thought he was done. Ugh, he groaned. Are all breathers this nosy? Yes, I said, just because I could. Fine, I was born in Stable Three. Stable Three was constructed underground. He looked at me expectantly, then sighed when it became clear I didn't know how big a deal that was. You think the pink cloud out there is bad? That's nothing. You go underground or to any of the sewers or maintenance tunnels or under rails and you'll see bad. Then, being a breather, you'll die. It's solid pink down there. Down there, the pink cloud is alive and hungry. It was only a matter of time before it found its way in. That got a jump from me, followed by a look of disbelief. Of course ponies like you scoff. The one alicorn who ever tried talking to us instead of attacking us scoffed too. But I tell you true, the pink cloud is alive down there. I've heard it breathing. Calibur shrugged. Then the cult rambled off in breathless rapid succession. Anyway, the pink cloud got me. I died, became a ghoul. So did my parents. The pink cloud ate stable three, and so we came here. Then the alicorns came and killed my parents. Now it's just me, which is fine. Because I'm old enough to be your grandfather's great-grandfather. I run a gun store. I sell guns and ammo. Usually. Ta-da! We've come full circle. Question time over. Calamity had stopped his work and was looking at me with a knowing expression. 
Wow. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Caliber wasn't looking. He mouthed, we need to talk. A dragon? A yep. Calamity claimed as we trotted towards the open door of Stable One. A big mammoth behemoth super old dragon. Just beyond stretched a large open area of the Ministry building, which had once been used for processing, but the ghouls had converted it into some sort of liberal arts common room. A two-pony band had started playing, one on a glass harp and the other on a glass harmonica. The music that floated in through the Stable One's entrance was beautifully haunting, crystalline and strangely disorienting. It was the music of ghosts. How is the pink cloud a dragon? I asked, confusion overcoming my initial shock. It's not exactly. Calamity struggled. It's weird, okay. Look, you know how the zebra bellfire bombs work, right? They take a bellfire egg and weave it into a mega spell, talisman, thingy, or something. Anyway, the pink cloud mega spell was the same way. They took a bunch of those things they used against Little Horn, which best I figure are essential like water talismans only for pink cloud and wove him into a mega-spell... thingy. Okay? I said, nodding. I was fairly sure I was following what Calamity was saying better than he did. But how does that... Well, if you want to build a talisman that's going to last a really long time, or at least long enough to kill someone who's really hard to put down, what do you make it out of? Oh. I had a sinking feeling in my gut. You use... gemstones... I paused as we reached a water fountain. Stable One had a functioning water talisman. I tested the fountain, holding my pit butt close to it, but there was no sign of contamination. I ran it a bit, and there was no hint of pink. Yep, Calamity said as I gulped down water from the fountain. It was not a true substitute for food, but it would do. This pink lab megaspell talisman was just chock full of gemstones. I saw where this was going. The dragon ate it, didn't he? Yep, and the dragon's a she. The dragon that guides the royal treasury, to be exact. As we reached the entryway, I paused, observing a glowing terminal. My curiosity got the better of me. Hold up, I asked Calamity. I poked at the terminal and was surprised to find that it had already been hacked and the information on it was freely available to any pony who was interested. The information consisted of a single audio file. I downloaded it into my foreleg. Turning back to Calamity, I commented, Okay, well, now the secret passage makes sense. How do you figure? Well, Princess Celestia's school was obviously using baby dragons for something. They had to come from somewhere, I reasoned. I think the princess had some sort of arrangement with the dragon. She got the biggest horde in Equestria, and the princess got, well, her children. The royal treasury dragon was mummy. Calamity nodded. Well, it seems the dragon digested the megaspell or something, but it changed her. It became part of her. Right now, she's asleep in the treasury, and she's snoring pink cloud. Well, fuckity fuck, 
I now understood how Cantalot's pink cloud survived after centuries of week-long rains, and why the cloud was so dense in the underground passages. The cloud would have gotten into the secret passage, started eating away at its walls, and from there it would have gone... everywhere. Sewers, tunnels, you name it. She probably doesn't look a thing like a dragon anymore, neither. Calamity mused. You gotta figure she's fused to her hoard, and hold damn treasury. He kicked at the metal railing next to the steps leading out. So much for dreams of loot and the royal treasure. Such a waste. I rolled my eyes and then asked, How do you know all this anyway? Calamity turned to me. Cause while y'all were vacationing, I was stuck down in that hole with the crazy alicorn lady. Y'all just got a few minutes of Looney Town. I had that damn argument running through my head non-stop all damn night. He let out a loud wicker. I picked up a few things from all of that. A sign hanging on the wall next to the stable's gear-shaped moor read, Artistic Commons. No broadcasters, please. We stepped out over the open, gear-shaped door and paused, hearing the music more fully now. I felt the urge to move aside somewhere, lay down and forget about dragons and necromantic clouds and everything else, to just listen as the ethereal tones moved strangely through my soul. Calamity and I were still in the artistic commons, lulled by the music, when Steelhooves found us. The armor-clad ghoul trotted up heavily, stopping for us just long enough to demand, Come with me! He was trotting back through the crowd of cantalot ghouls before I even fully registered his presence. I struggled to my hooves, feeling sluggish, relaxed and strangely off-balance. Calamity stretched out his wings, giving a few lazy flaps before lifting himself into the air. The ceiling of the processing area was three ponies high, giving him just about enough room to manoeuvre between the maze of ghouls, easels and displays below, and the light fixtures above. Steelhooves kept a brisk pace, weaving dispassionately between the residents of Stable City. I had to wonder what this was like for him. He had anticipated nothing but poison, death and monsters in the Cantalot ruins, and while those existed in great abundance, we'd also found a pocket of civilization, a community composed of Cantalot ghouls like himself. As we started climbing one of the several flights of stairs, my stomach rumbled, again protesting my lack of a proper breakfast or lunch. I distracted myself by putting in my earbloom and playing the audio recording from the Stable One terminal. The voice was very familiar, which made the beginning of the recording all the more jarring. There was a wetness in her voice. She had clearly been crying, but no more. Now, while the bitterness and sorrow remained, the hurt was gone and a cold anger nested in its place. Hello, and goodbye. My name is Scootaloo. You probably know me as the Vice President of Stable Tech, the company who designed and built the stable you have taken refuge in. But right now, I'm talking to you as one of the very, very many ponies you fuckers have murdered. You, the Ministries, the Heads of Equestria, the Princesses if you're in here, you killed us all with your stupid, senseless war, and now I'm returning the favour. I'll admit, I gave a lot of serious thought to just keeping the door of Stable 1 from sealing properly, and getting you all die from whatever horror you hid yourselves from while the rest of Cantalot's ponies and the rest of Equestria perished. All... all the ponies that we were unable to save. But that's the whole point of the stables. Above and everything else, the stables are meant to save people. Yes, people. I'm happy to report that one of the stables has been built to serve as many of Equestria's zebras as possible, the ones that you fuckers shoved in a dump and tried to forget about. 
and Stable 14 is currently housing many of Equestria's griffins. But the stables were mostly built to save ponies, even ponies like you. It is for that reason alone that you're all going to live out the rest of your natural lives in Stable 1, as well as your children, regardless of the conditions existing outside. I've seen to it that Stable 1 will not open so long as even one of you is still alive, which, if the princesses are in there, might be a very long time. No matter how fast Equestria heals, not even a single damn one of you is going to get to profit from what you have done. Equestria is something you ponies don't deserve. I hope your souls rot for eternity. Steelhoof's led us to the border of Stable City, a rather drearily officious room labelled Ministry of Wartime Technology's Subsidy Application Centre, which had been converted into a defence position, complete with turrets, armoured wall reinforcements and barricades with murder holes, and to a door that had been canvassed and welded with armoured plates. Steelhoof stopped, raising an armoured hoof and banging it against the door in four impatient raps. He waited a moment, nickering softly to himself. Steelhoofs, what's this about? I asked, disquieted by the mood radiating from him. I noticed he was carrying a saddle satchel that he had never worn before. He didn't answer, still nickering. Just as I began to suspect he was counting, he stopped. Steelhoofs opened the armoured door and barged inside, passing a displeased-looking cantaloupe ghoul who stood guard. Calamity and I followed. I waved to the guard as we passed, observing his battle saddle, armour and the pitbuck on his leg. His broadcaster was turned off. I realised quickly the purpose of Steelhoof's knock. The guard did not return any greeting. Feeling a wave of depression, I noticed his pitbuck was not part of him. I suspected most of the pitbucks worn by the ghouls of Stable City had been acquired from either Stable One or the residents therein. Without the right tools and knowledge, it was impossible to open a pitbuck and lock it onto a new body. However, the pitbuck technician stall in Stable One should have had both the tools and the documentation the cantaloupe ghouls needed. I tried to buck up, feeling morose about my leg wasn't going to help anything. The emotion didn't even make sense. As we moved forward, I found myself staring out at a wall of pink. We'd exited on an upper mezzanine overlooking the atrium. Dim, pink-tinted light flooded the once grand atrium. The cloud was thick enough outside that we would need to drink healing potions after making the run between each ministry building now. Down below, we could hear the sea of static from dozens of broadcasters hidden amongst the skeletons that littered the floor, but we were high enough to be out of danger. Feeling a flood of deja vu, I moved up to the railing and looked down. I had been here before, and from this very spot, I looked down into a much sunnier lobby as Applejack spoke openly with her old zebra friend Zakora. I had watched and my host had plotted Applejack's demise. I shied away from the railing with a shudder of disgust. Steelhoofs was looking back at me from several yards ahead. This way. The place our Applejack's ranger had led us to was an odd little alcove underneath a sweeping stairwell. The door had long ago been removed, and a simple stained curtain hung in its place. Warm light poured out from underneath the hanging drapery, as well as above it and along the sides. Steelhoofs knocked on the wall beside the curtain, this time, almost reverently. Star! He rumbled gently. It's Apple Snack. I've returned with as many of the things you asked for as I could find. And I've brought my friends. Although I had counted Steelhoofs amongst my friends for weeks, to hear him refer to us this way was surprising, strange and poignant. Oh, bless you. An elderly mare's voice rasped from inside, followed by an odd squeaking. Please step inside. 
Steelhoofs pushed past the curtain without hesitation. With a mixture of caution and wonder, I stepped in behind him. The room under the stairs was small, lit by a couple old sparkle cola lamps sitting on metal boxes. There was a clean-looking toilet in the near corner, with several pristine coffee mugs sitting on it, and a few shelves. The back half of the room was sectioned off by a once-beautiful hanging curtain, originally of rich hues of scarlets and purples, now faded and fraying. Much of the wall directly opposite of the doorway was taken up by a rusty ventilation grate, the fan behind it slowly turning. The only other notable furniture amongst the clutter was an ancient phonograph sitting beside a player for more modern audio recordings. I immediately pictured this room as having originally been a little getaway for some janitor or maintenance pony, a place she could sneak off to during her shift to smoke, relieve herself or do other things. Living in this secluded and somewhat sad place, outside of Stable City, yet still inside the Ministry building itself, was Mare who had been elderly even before the Pink Cloud made her undying. She was a unicorn, her body fused into the wheelchair which she had been largely confined to even before. My first assumption upon seeing the curtain was that the next room held a mattress, but I realise now that not only did Cantalot Ghouls not sleep, but this Mare was not even able to lay down and rest. Still, she greeted us with a smile, her eyes wide and glowing. Thank you, Applestack, she beamed at us. It has been so long since I've had visitors. Still who set the satchel on the floor. I am so sorry I could not find everything, Star. A violet light manifested around the unicorn ghoul's horn and enveloped the satchel. Oh, this is lovely, Star said, floating out several records and a few audio recordings. You've saved this old mare, Applesnack. Truly you have. Books levitated out next. I was going to go insane if I had to read the same dusty old books one more time. She gasped as she pulled out a few boxes of old snack cakes. Oh, how thoughtful! The elderly ghoul's smile was somehow beautiful despite the condition of her decayed and warped body. I may not need to eat, but it is so wonderful to occasionally taste sweetness. I looked to Steelhooves. His stance was almost bashful. I could almost feel a warmth radiating off the normally dour and stoic ghoul. The elderly mare paused, a ghost of a tremble passing through her lower lip, and she swivelled away turning the wheels of her chair with her magic, likewise magically tugging at the curtain to dab at her left eye. The chair squeaked as she rotated. I noticed that the larger wheels were still functional, but the smaller ones had fused rigid. The movement of the curtain revealed the wall behind was plastered with posters and images. I couldn't make any of them out, save that the lavender seemed to be the dominating colour, and that one of the posters boasted the word, Read. As the curtain fell back into place, I realised two things. First... I had no idea why the old ghoul had emotionally reacted to what my mind had labelled as a shopping run. And second, she'd been unable to wipe away the tear with the hoof because her forelegs were melted into the leg rests of the chair. I felt an involuntary shudder, trying to imagine living forever, unable to move. I immediately wanted to help this poor mare, and I felt very proud of steel hooves. But where are my manners? Star asked abruptly, turning back with a big smile on her face as she floated the contents of the satchel away. And where are yours? She said without a hint of malice. You haven't introduced your friends. Steelhooves whinnied, then turned to look at us. Calamity had been staring at him with eyebrows raised so high they nearly pushed off his hat. But now he broke into an almost smug grin. Yeah, Apple's neck. Why don't you say you introduce us and quit hugging this pretty young gal all for yourself? Calamity shot Star a warm smile and a mirthful wink. She rolled her eyes, smiling. Star, this is Little Pip. He said, nodding to me. And the Pegasus is Calamity. Little Pip, 
Calamity, this is Star Sparkle. Well, howdy, Miss Sparkle, Calamity said. My smile of greeting faltered a moment. Wait, who? She's living here, outside Stable City, because she's being shunned. Steelhoof said, his voice carrying an edge. I blinked. Cantaloupe ghouls needed neither food nor clothing, and the Ministry Hub provided shelter, whether in Stable City or not. But I'd learned that ponies need more than these things. Ponies needed companionship and some sort of social framework. And that is what Stable City provided them, as much as water, ponies thirst for friendship. In Shunning Star, the ghouls of Stable City had taken the one thing that they could, the one thing she probably needed the most. Because the ghouls of Stable City believe her daughter created the Alicorns. I'm always proud of my daughter, Star Sparkle told us firmly as she magically drew back the curtain which bisected her humble living space. Nothing that those monsters outside have done will ever change that. Twilight Sparkle was behind the curtain. Every inch of wall space was covered in images of her. Everything from ministry posters to ancient and yellowed home photographs. All of which seemed to be of Twilight as a young filly. There were open scrapbooks of newspaper articles featuring Star Sparkle's daughter. A large oil painting of a smiling Twilight Sparkle hung in a decorative oval frame on the centre of the back wall. Ministry Mayor Twilight Sparkle tchotchkes filled small shelves and crates. And in the centre was a precious Twilight Sparkle statuette. Her base reading a familiar, Be Smart. Golly, Calamity breathed. But when the Alicorns started appearing in Cantalot and they began killing us, the other ponies of Stable City decided I was no longer welcome among them. Star Sparkle explained sorrowfully. They said I posed a danger to the city. The Alicorns have never paid me unusual attention, but... She looked away. Well, maybe they're right. It sounds to me more like they were looking for some pony to take it out on, Calamity grumbled. Star gave Calamity an aching smile. Please don't judge them too harshly. After all, they have allowed me to still live in the building, and I've never been harassed. Maybe once a year, some pony will even bring me things. She smiled warmly at Steel Hooves. Like Applesnack here, such a sweet young buck. You deserve better, Steel Hooves asserted. My heart echoed the sentiment filling with an aching sadness. But the little pony in my head found the scene in front of me more than a little creepy. Standing beside her daughter in the face of public persecution was admirable, but what I saw before me was more like a shrine. I felt like I was looking into the face of obsession. Star Sparkle seemed to read something in my expression or body language. Your friend thinks I'm crazy, she told Steelhooves. I opened my muzzle to protest. Oh, don't fret, dear, she said to me kindly. I understand. It looks like a lot when it's all in such a small space. I shut my muzzle, lowering my head with an apologetic expression that was not entirely sincere. This would seem excessive even if spread over multiple rooms twice this size. Star Sparkle let out a sigh, looking over the Twilight Sparkle Shrine. Uh, no, you're right, but it's not what you think. She bit her lower lip and closed her eyes. I love my daughter more than life itself as did my husband. She opened her eyes, looking at the oval oil painting, and I admired her. The princess's favourite pupil, the bearer of one of the elements of harmony, the mayor of the Ministry of Arcane Sciences. I was so proud. I heard a tremble in her voice, her gaze lowered to the floor. But I was afraid of her too. 
Twilight Sparkle admitted slowly. We both were, although my husband less than I. Just once, when she was very, very young, she lost control. She changed me into a potted plant, entirely by accident. If it hadn't been for the princess... The mare, who had given birth to Twilight Sparkle, looked up at me, her eyes again damp with tears. I know I shouldn't have been, but I was frightened, and even though I never stopped loving her, I let myself grow distant. She frowned. Some mother. My daughter received more correspondence from the princess herself than she did from me. I never visited her all the time she was in Ponyville. I never met her friends. She shook her head. She never forgot us, though. When they built Stable One, my Twilight made sure my husband and I were amongst the first to be guaranteed a place inside. We were on the way there when the cloud overtook us. My husband died on the steps just outside the ministry, making sure I made it through the door. She looked away, softly muttering, Of course, they'd sealed the stable early. I found myself looking at her wheelchair and thinking of the stallion's skeleton outside with his hoof sunk into the concrete. I was suddenly very angry with the ponies of the Ministry of Wartime Technology. How dare they steal up the stable, trapping good ponies outside. Family and loved ones who the stable was supposed to save. They deserved, well, what they got. I suppose I've been trying to make up for all the distance I let fall between us while my daughter was still alive. I looked at the shrine with fresh eyes. This wasn't obsession, this was overcompensation. I come in here and talk to her, Star Sparkle told us. Sometimes I tell her how my day was, although not so much anymore since all my days are pretty much the same. I Sometimes I read to her. She did so love books. Star smiled sadly. Sometimes I just tell her I'm sorry and that I love her. She looked away, a few tears escaping to drip from her cheeks. Sometimes, she admitted softly. I even think that I hear her say something back. We are taking her with us. Steelhoof stomped. We were standing on the mezzanine as we waited for Father Remedy and Pilate to join us. We are not taking her with us. I stomped back. She deserves better than that. Steelhoof's insisted, pointing his hoof in the direction of Star Sparkle's hovel. She doesn't deserve to face what we have to. I argued, shaking my head. Where we're going next is too dangerous. I was cut off by a majestic hoot as Pylite landed on my head, her talons pricking at my scalp through my mane. I turned to see Velvet Remedy trotting up, a rather large package hovering behind her. Steelhooves nickered angrily. Well, of course we're not taking her with us now. The Alicorns will be waiting for us right outside. I'm not trying to get her killed. I might have something to help with that, Calamity interrupted, pulling the case of new missiles out of his pack and setting it before steel hooves. Oh? Velvet Remedy sang. We're giving presents? Perfect, because I have one for little Pip. I blinked. A present? For me? She floated the package over to me as she joined us. I just had to get you something new to wear, she chimed, especially after throwing your dress to the dragons. I tried not to grimace. Of all the things I was worried about right now, a pretty dress was really not amongst them. I'd rather given up on pretty dresses. The equestrian wasteland favoured a more rugged and armoured look. Still, maybe it would be something to look nice in for homage. When I opened the package, I found that Velvet Remedy had surprised me. Cantaloupe police parting. 
Velvet Remedy told me as I pulled out the old uniform. It was in amazing condition. Some of the best light barding in Equestria. She winnied theatrically. You wouldn't believe how hard it is to find anything practical in your size. Wow, I... I blinked. It was a wonderful gift. Yet at the same time, I'd grown rather attached to my armoured stable utility barding. Although, thankfully, not literally and permanently. Did you do it, Armoured, after all? Velvet Remedy seemed prodded. Go ahead, put it on. Almost as if reading my mind, Velvet said, I know your old stable suit has been a constant companion, but haven't you put it through enough? That suit has been torn up and mended as often as you have, and it deserves a rest, wouldn't you agree? I nodded solemnly and started to disrobe. We're still not taking her with us, I said firmly. Taking who? Star Sparkle. Steelhooves told her. Who? Take her where? Tempony Tower. Steelhooves said emphatically. Do you really think that it's later? Uh, Cantalog Ghoul, leaving that posh stuck up. Yes, they will. Steelhooves slowly intoned in a low voice that told me it'd be very bad of the citizens of Tempony Tower to refuse her. She was Twilight Sparkle's mother. Remember what Tempony Tower is. They will. I nodded. I agree. I stated, suspecting that the Twilight Society would go to great lengths to have a direct relative of the Ministry Mayor in the Tower. And I'm sure that homage would help, and... I chuckled, shaking my head. I can set her up with a place. I own a cheese shop. Both Calamity and Velvet Remedy looked at me oddly. You have a what now? As I pulled the stable utility suit over my head, I informed Steelhooves. But we're not taking her with us. I tossed my stable utility barding onto the floor and stared at it. It was ragged. So patched up it looked like it was sewn from rags. There were deep stains, not all of which were blood. It was repulsive. Not now! I turned to Steelhooves, who was still snorting impatiently. We'll come back for her, though. I promise. Until then, she's safe here. Why not? Steelhooves asked insistently. Because we're not going to Tempony Tower. As soon as we're done in Cantalot, we're going straight to Splendid Valley. No more delays. Well, after we pick up Zenith, Calamity reminded me. Okay, one delay. After we pick up Zenith, I added. Splendid Valley. I levelled a look at Steelhooves. You know what's there. And I'm not taking Twilight Sparkle's mother anywhere near that place. I'm not taking her anywhere until the goddess has been dealt with. Steelhooves seemed to accept that answer backing down with a nod. I folded the barding up as best as the armor plates would allow and slipped it into the duffel bag filled with tools for calamity. Oh! I looked up, floating my old armor and the stealth buck two out of the duffel bag before passing it to calamity. I've got a present for you too! Calamity took one look inside and let out a whinnying squeal of glee. I started putting on the cantor police barding, which really did fit quite well, and... Oh, what was that feeling? Oh yes, I remember now. It's the feeling of wearing something clean. Steelhooves walked over to the nearest stable city guard and spoke with him, getting a nod. I trotted in place, getting used to the feeling of the new art of barding. Oh, thank you, Velvet. This is nice. I paused, noting the colour. How does it look? Does it go with my mane? Steelhooves neighed, returning as the guard trotted over to the reading of the mezzanine. Honest opinion? I can't picture it on you. Not enough bloodstains. I gave Steelhooves a dirty look. Give her time. 
I shifted my attention to the guards, ignoring them both. The guard's horn began to glow. Sparks of magical light floated down and spread about amongst the skeleton-covered floor below. The static from beneath us stopped. How? I shut them off, the guard said simply. I'll turn the broadcasters back on after you leave. Shut them off. My hoof slapped my face as I remembered cowering in a corner of the Ministry of Magic Lab, shooting frantically at a broadcaster. Of course, you could just turn them off. I was not a clever pony. I was, in fact, a very stupid pony. As we walked down the steps and made our way through the sea of bones, I stopped and pulled one of the broadcasters from a pit buck, turning it over and familiarising myself with its design. Well, ain't this obviously an ambush? Calamity said dryly, looking out into the pink. Where do you think all they went? There was no sign outside of a single alicorn. Hadn't up on the roof or around the side of the building? Maybe the one they called Nightseer got tired of losing alicorns and called them back. Velvet Remedy suggested hopefully. Something in the tone of her voice betrayed that she didn't really think that was possible either. So, Calamity looked to me. What's the plan? The Balloon Orb Pinkie Pie's office. Ministry of Morale. Manhattan. Only not. As I pushed open the door with a pink hoof, everything seemed off. Distorted. It was as if the normal colour scheme of the world had become a twisted painting of grotesque panels. I felt awful, and yet I felt horribly alive. A buzz ran through my nerves and up my spine. My ears itched. There was a tremor in the back of my right hind leg and an odd burning sensation that was growing in my left forehoof. I knew this feeling. My host was riding the razor cliff of a part-time Mintal's high, the edge before the awful crash. But it was more than that. This was wrong. The world tasted funny, smelled funny, like peppermint and rotted cabbage. Stupid bitchy witchy twilight, I'm fine, I'll show her. My host looked around, scowling. It was as if even she realised something was terribly out of place, but couldn't put her hoof on what. I know, I'll record my memory and send it to her, a nice long one. Then she'll see there's nothing wrong with me, and she won't be able to leave until she's done seeing. No, no, Pinky, you're not fine. Nothing about this is fine. Oh, leave her be, a voice whispered from beside me. If she wants to throw you away because she doesn't like your parties anymore, then good riddance. The voice was female, and it was coming from the plant. Yes, one of the potted plants in Pinkie Pie's room was actually talking to her. I saw the plant move, the leaves rustle as the voice drifted up from it. You don't need her. You don't need any of them! My host barely gave her, it, a glance. I thought she was my friend! Indeed, came another voice from a marbled paperweight on Pinkie Pie's desk. None of them see what you can see. They don't understand the pressure you're under. No! Pinkie Pie agreed. No, they don't! Oh, goddesses. Pinkie Pie was having a mental break. I was seeing what she was seeing in her head. Pinkie Pie continued to look around, and then stopped, staring at a tall, thin object concealed by a sheet. Where did you come from? She plodded over and grasped the sheet in her teeth, pulling it free. Before her stood a mirror. I saw my host staring back at me. Pinkie Pie, but not as I was used to seeing her. Her coat's colour was off. Her mane hung straight and limp. 
Her expression was cross and dour. This was Pinkie Pie right after her last party. There was a ribbon wrapped around the mirror with a note on it. Dearest Pinkie, I thought this might help you find your way. Rarity. Pinkie Pie scowled as she read the note. I'm not lost! She grasped the ribbon in her teeth and tore it away, then stared at herself in the mirror. You too, Rarity? She mumbled. Are all my friends going to abandon me? Can't trust any pony anymore. The paperweight grumbled. Pinkie Pie trotted to a nearby intercom, pressing a hoof against a button. Hey, there's a mirror in my office that isn't supposed to be here. Call somebody to pick it up. Yes, ma'am. A mayor's voice crackled over the intercom, sounding oddly distant. Where is it supposed to be? I don't care. Take it to one of the fun farms or something. Pinky grumbled. Just get rid of it. My host trotted back up to the mirror, staring. She reached out a hoof, touching the surface, and jumped back at the shock of cold. The image in the mirror changed abruptly. Now looking back at us was Pinkie Pie, smiling, cheery, objectionably pink, poofy-haired Pinkie Pie. Oh, hey! The Pinkie Pie in the mirror crawled out happily. Hello, Pink Amida. Oh, you don't look so good, which is bad because you're me. And that means I don't look so good. She had enchanted a small mirror. To look in it, you would see your reflection, just as with any mirror. But if you touched it or focused your magic on it, then a spell within the mirror took a picture of your soul, and then a second enchantment allowed the mirror to show that image. The mirror pinky looked at my host with concern. What's wrong with us? Who the hell are you? Pinkie Pie, my host, grumbled. Goddesses, this was bizarre, as if not downright creepy. I decided to think of them in different names just to keep my thoughts straight, although parts of me worried that was buying into this insanity. Why aren't you, of course? Pinkie Pie giggled. I'm the real you, which is weird since I'm totally high too. The reflection was high on PTMs? Or was that just Pinkie Mina's high warping? The reflection can't really be having this conversation in the first place since reflections can't talk. Just like paperweights and potted plants. This is a trick. Pinkamina hissed. Oh, you mean like a practical joke? See, they do really still care about you. Pinkie Pie paused, then brightened. Oh, uh, hello, little Pip. Uh, um, hello? This conversation had taken a left turn into Weirdsville. Little Pip says, uh, hello? Pinkie Pie proclaimed, beaming. Wait, what? Now Little Pip says, wait, what? Pinkie Pie giggled. This was impossible. You remind me of our friend Twilight Sparkle, Little Pip. She's not our friend. Pinkie Mina sighed. Not anymore. Pinkie Pie's eyes widened. She is so our friend. If she wasn't, she wouldn't be trying to help us. Pinkie Mina opened her mouth, but Pinkie Pie shook her head. And don't try telling yourself you don't need help. I know better, and that means you know better. I'm just trying to make ponies happy. Make them happy? Little Pip has a point, Pinkie Pie said seriously. You can't make some pony happy. You can only help them find happiness. Pinkie Pie pointed at the window. Look out there. Do they look happy? No, Pinkie Mina mumbled, looking any place but the window. They're not happy. Pinkie Pie admitted sadly. I think, I think they're actually scared of us. This was 
This was what led to Pinkie Pie realising she needed help. This conversation, that somehow, insanely, I was part of, was what pushed Pinkie Pie to... <laughs> Pinkie Pie scowled at me from the mirror. You have to keep secrets, little Pip! Th- what? No? If, if there was any chance that I was just somehow communicating, then there were things that Pinkie Pie needed to know. I could warn her, I could save. Not listening! Pinkie Pie said, covering her ears theatrically. You can't tell us a little pip! But everything ends horribly. No, no it doesn't! Pinkie Pie shook her head feverently. Then suddenly she was smiling again. Everything will end in sunshine and rainbows! She announced gleefully and I was struck with the strangest sense of déjà vu. She pointed a hoof at me, or was it Pinkamina? As long as you're willing to face the fire, that is. What fire? Don't listen to her, the pot of plant insisted. She just wants you to fail. No, Pinkie Pie insisted. We have to do what's most important first. We have to save the other ponies before we save ourselves. You know what I mean, with those bad, bad ponies at four stars, but then... Pinkie Pie smiled sadly. Then we do have to save us, don't we? Sunshine and rainbows. I wanted to tell her how absolutely impossible that was. Hell, the two things this world didn't have anymore. Pinkie Pie grew very cross, glaring at me through the mirror. Sunshine and rainbows. Pinkamina dropped to the carpet. We, I... She began to cry. How, how can I fix this? How can I giggle at the ghosty when I'm the ghosty? If a hug could heal pain, then laughter could heal fear. But the ministries cast a big shadow. There were many, many ponies who needed to giggle. We need to stop, Pinkie Pie said solemnly. The whole Ministry of Morale just isn't helping. It's hurting ponies. And we need to stop. We need to get clean, and then record this memory for little Pip. Then... The whole Ministry... Pinkamina moaned. We need to tear it all down. A big going away party. The biggest ever. Ahead of us loomed a tall, curving building of feminine grace, adorned with large gemstones and crystalline latticework. If the Ministry of Wartime Technology was the king of the Ministry Walk, the Ministry of Image was clearly the queen. Everywhere else, the Ministry of Image preferred to keep itself invisible a shadowy hoof supporting all the others from behind the scenes. The Cantalot hub of the Ministry was a showpiece, the name of the Ministry wrapping around the facade in diamond-studded letters. Rarity, the Mayor of the Ministry, had never appeared in any publication, poster or product for the Ministry of Image. Here, she stood proudly before her Ministry as an alabaster statue lording over a fountain of crystal, glass and diamond dust. My plan, which had largely amounted to run, seemed to be working. Velvet Remby and Steelhooves galloped beside me as we passed between the dead trees that lined the park. My lungs were burning, fighting for breath. My head pounded and my vision blurred, and I could feel the strain in my heart and muscles as the pink cloud attacked every part of my body, inside and out. Still, no harassment from our enemies. But I had two lights on my EFS compass. Look sharp! Steelhooves called out, his visor giving him the same warning. I didn't see any pony. Either they were invisible or they were hiding in the draped alcoves of the Ministry. Calamity beat his wings, soaring upwards, wary of alicorns on the roof. It all happened in less than three seconds. We charged around the Rarity Fountain and right into the trap. 
proximity mines, a lot of them, many of which were magical energy based, virtually paved the space between Rarity and the front door of the Ministry of Image. Many of them had already begun to flash as Velvet Remedy and Steel Hooves drew to a stop next to me. My horn was already glowing as a field of levitation magic swept over the mines. The two alicorns stepped out of their hiding places and sat down, becoming statues as they instantly erected an alicorn shield about us, trapping us inside it with the mines. Pyolite, who had been keeping pace with us, smacked into the inside of the shield and fell to the ground amongst the mines, dazed. I parted the sea of beeping mines, shoving them into piles against the shield right next to the alicorns as I magically switched on the broadcaster which I had attached to my pit buck. Velvet Remedy telekinetically pulled Pyolite back and wrapped us in her own magical shield. My head exploded in agony. My vision swam with red. Beside me, Velvet Remedy started to scream as the broadcaster's deadly necromancy attacked her as she held the spell. The alicorns jerked, opening their muzzles in a twisted cry of anguish, their shield dissolving. The mines exploded in a cavalcade of fire, shrapnel, concussive force and magical energy. The turret exploded as Little Macintosh sent two armor-piercing bullets through its innards. Twin shot from Calamity's battle saddle took out the last of the three security turrets. Compared to the security systems we had run into in other buildings, this had been almost too easy. I stumbled into a plush bench, face planting into the cushions, and caught my breath. The others settled down, imbibing healing potions. The pink cloud had harmed us more than the Alicorn's trap and the turrets combined. I could smell something foul from the cushion, but I didn't care. At even a glance, I could see that much of the Ministry of Image was scumming to rot and decay. The furnishings and decor had been chosen for appearance, not longevity. This don't bode well, Calamity said with a grimace. I looked up, pulling out a healing potion of my own. Shoving myself away from the blissful cushionness of the bench, I moved to where he was flying. Calamity was looking behind the lobby's greeting counter. Steel Rangers, dead, more than half a dozen of them. Sent by cottage cheese to retrieve the black book. Steelhooves noted solemnly, joining us. Hey, yup, but what killed him? And who laid him out like this? I shook my head. Not a good sign indeed. I turned away, tipping the potion and letting its healing liquid pour down my tongue and throat. Calamity was flying over the bodies, pulling ammunition from their battle saddles. Velvet Remedy was looking over the image directory, hanging on a wall between two columns of twisting marble. And where are we expecting to find this book? Velvet questioned. Rarity's desk. A secret safe in her office. Velvet nodded. There's an executive elevator. For once, we might actually be able to be in and out as quickly as Little Vip keeps hoping. Calamity coughed into his hoof. A cough that sounded a lot like a comment about liking mares. Rolling my eyes, I checked my map and started towards the elevator. It was just down the right hoof hall and around the corner. The hall was hung with backlit posters and gilded frames, each boasting the merits of the other ministries. I pulled up short as I rounded the corner. The executive elevator was between two progress posters, one of which was the familiar image of the glee-filled mare and her hover robot, the other a group of ponies staring in awe at a glowing terminal. The elevator itself was richly designed, gilded with gold, and stuck open by the dead body of a steel ranger knight. The body of a scribe lay crumpled inside, slowly rotting, her horn in the top of her skull had exploded, painting the back of the elevator car. Soft static poured out of the speaker in the roof of the elevator. Maybe we shouldn't take the elevator, Velvet suggested as she caught up with me.
As we wove through the maze of terminals, monitors, and meeting tables that seemed to make up a large bulk of media oversight, I was struck by the lack of skeletons or other signs of dead ponies. Not just in the Ministry of Image, but in the Ministries of Peace and Arcane Sciences as well. Perhaps it was in sight of the Ministry of Wartime Technology's atrium that reminded me of something was missing. The only dead here were Steel Rangers. Other than the one message written in blood, there was no indication of pony death in Twilight's ministry either. The lighting in the room flickered on the verge of giving out. When we had switched them on, two of the light fixtures had exploded. Steel Hooves paused, looking at a line of dust-covered mainframes along one side of the building. This room alone could have killed them, he commented. Just by seeing all the technology preserved here and knowing they were only here for a book. I glanced at a nearby terminal. This one was still glowing. Curious, I drew out my hacking tool. It was an extremely easy terminal to access. The password was Glitter. Media Oversight, Intra-Office Memo 057. Just a reminder and clarification, ponies new to Media Oversight's Division imagery. All pictures of ponies, including multiple, non-specific individuals, are required to have at least a 2 to 1 ratio of ponies with bold or pastel palettes to ponies whose coat and mane bear more natural colours such as brown, grey or tan, as 3 to 1 ratio is preferable. The only exception to this is ponies with white coats. White is Celestia's colour and is always permissible in any amount. Likewise, ensure that any planned photography be coordinated with at least one of imagery's pegasi. We want the image of Equestria to be one of glorious sunny days and bright starry nights. Overcast skies will be strictly avoided, unless required for effect. Colour correction may be employed to make the sky over an Equestrian an even deeper blue. In addition, remember that all images of zebras are to be monochromatic. Colour photography should be rendered black and white, or pass through desaturation and palette correction spell. Attached is a list of appropriate tints for zebra imagery, but a good rule of hoof is that any coloration that gives the image a demonic or sickly appearance. Personal memo. Dearest Shutterbright, while I do appreciate your artistic thinking, and I agree that a bright and beautiful equestria is a most desirable aesthetic, I must decline your proposal that all imagery of equestria display a sunny day. Please remember that Princess Luna sits on the throne now. Let's not set a policy designed to wound her. Sincerely, Rarity. Media Oversight Intra-Office Memo Number 162 All ponies with Media Oversight are required to attend the mandatory employee meeting tomorrow, starting promptly at 8. In this meeting, we will be giving you an overview of your new radio override system. Thanks to assistance from the Ministry of Awesome, we've been able to establish an equestrian override system for emergency interruption or enhancement of radio broadcasts. All ponies in Media Oversight will need to be familiar with the basics of this new system and how to access the ROS from either the Media Oversight Office or the base station of any of the MAW towers. This meeting is expected to last two hours. Lemon cakes and tea will be served. A uh, little pip? Calamity said, staring at a dead monitor. Across it, some pony had painted the message, They eat your soul. Can't we just go home now? The Pegasus moaned. I didn't blame him. We continued on, even more alert and cautious than before. Dragon! Velvet Remedy gasped, echoing my own sentiment. Pilot let out a worried hoot. A yup! Calamity asserted as he flew over the book bins and the tables of restricted publications. The rest of us had to walk around them. From what I could discern, the very long table I was passing had once been where a small legion of unicorns had magically converted books to new editions. There were bins for books beside each workstation, 
one labelled inappropriate and the other labelled corrected. A poster on a nearby bookcase showed a dark blue earth pony reading over a book, with more stacked on each side. The poster read, Be diligent, we check your work. Had been passed through the book review office to get to this room. That makes this much more difficult. Steelhooves commented, I do not believe we have the firepower to kill a dragon of that age. Velvet Remedy frowned. You ponies do realise this is probably Spike's mother we're talking about, right? She nickered. Show a little compassion. I winced. But right now, she was a threat to Equestria. A giant, living, pink cloud factory. I don't think we have to, Calamity stated. A killer, I mean. The crazy Alcon lady already solved the problem for us. She's already dead, I exclaimed in surprise. Calamity shook his head. It seems that the Alicorn got a hold of a spell that'll turn the big mother dragon into something small that doesn't breathe cloud. Or at least that would only breathe tiny puffs of cloud. A field mouse, I think. Velvet Remedy stopped, staring. A spell that turns a dragon into a field mouse. A yup. And how do we cast this spell? She queried. I'm pretty sure it's outside my scope of spellcraft. And we know it's outside of little pips. Rub it in, why don't you? I'm the one who cast the spell, the Noctrixie personality had said. I'm the one who cast it. That's taken care of, Calamity grinned. That crazy Alicorn lady already cast the spell. Well, sorta. Sort of? Velvet prompted. I wasn't sure if she was asking what he meant or correcting his grammar. Calamity assumed the former. Well, way I hear it, she was something the Ministry of Magic came up with for the Ministry of Morale. A way to cast a spell and hold the effect on a trigger. Calamity rubbed a hoof against the back of his neck. To be precise, a way to cast a spell into a present. Spell goes off when the present is opened. She had a quirky name for it. Spell in a box? I suggested. Oh, yup, Calamity said as he landed next to a set of cages labelled Sanitation. That was it. I ducked under the table between us and trotted up to him, glancing at the clipboard which hung next to the cages. For processing of dangerously seditious materials... Please read instructions carefully. From what I read, the empty cages once held trained parasprites which had been ensorcelled to eat the words off pages. I wondered if the only eight specific words, or if they rendered the whole book blank, and thus gloriously sedition-free. Makes sense, I thought aloud. What with the thickness of Pink Cloud down there, she probably couldn't actually approach the dragon and cast a spell herself, so she had to cast it into a spell in the box. I wonder how she actually got it down there to Mother, though. Oh, she made a deal with a couple of the Cantalar dragons, Calamity said. Oh dear, Velvet said. No wonder the personalities were in crisis. She really was on the verge of rendering half of the herself obsolete. And how do you know all of this? Steelhooves asked. All fucking night. I take it the present hasn't been opened yet. I looked at Calamity expectantly. So that's what we have to do? That would mean sending steel hooves into the treasury. There wasn't another of us who could survive it. Open her present without getting transfigured into a field mouse. Not exactly. What? I stared at Calamity in disbelief. We had gone up a level and were working our way through the brightly coloured educational reform floor as Calamity explained the plan that the Alicorn in the Ministry of Arcane Science's basement had devised. When Calamity was finished, I felt all reason had fled from the world. 
Who the hell ties something this important to the start of a gala? I huffed. That's insane! Calamity fixed me with a level stare. Behind him was a poster of Happy Falls playing in a cheerful-looking schoolyard under the arc of a rainbow. What part of what you saw down in that basement screamed sanity to you? I groaned, pressing a hoof to my face. Okay, okay. Let me see if I've got this. In order to stop the continuous replenishment of the pink cloud, you have to trigger a spell in the box that will turn the treasury dragon into a field mouse. Triggering for the spell in the box has been rigged to the fireworks display for the Grand Galloping Gala. I remember Pinkie Pie's endorsement of the Philadelphia Fun Farm poster in Steel Hooves Shack. Everything the Grand Galloping Gala should have been, every day, forever. In Equestria's final year, Princess Luna had given over the Grand Galloping Gala to Pinkie Pie. The fireworks had been rigged up with one of her instant party systems, but the gala had never happened. The mega spells rained down, and life in Cantalot had ended. No more parties. And the trigger to set off the fireworks is in Princess Luna's private chambers in the royal castle. I understood now why Calamity had said we needed to go to the castle. I was so frustrated I could just scream. Why wasn't anything ever easy? Well, how would we know if it worked? Velvet Remedy asked. Having Steelhooves walk into a dragon's lair and check had clearly never crossed her mind. Calamity pulled something out of his pack and spit it onto his hoof. With this... He held up a large pink gemstone with a floor deep within it. An artificial floor in the shape of a rune. Spell in the box goes off, and this little diamond lights up. I wondered if this was the it the alicorn had been searching for. You stole that on the way out of the basement, didn't you? Velvet asked rhetorically. A blob of red light appeared on the edge of my EFS compass. I spun, trying to spot the source. My ears perked, catching a low, unearthly hum. It sounded similar to the warping, grating sound of a cantaloupe ghoul reviving, and only softer and caught on a single note like a broken recording. But there was nothing there, just a short, colourful bookshelf carved and painted with hearts and rainbows and prancing pony children. The bookshelf contained equally colourful books. The paint was peeling now, and two of the shelves had rotted through, spilling their contents onto the floor. Above was a chalkboard with a story problem. In Sunshine's home of Ponyville... The reward for turning in zebra sympathizers is 500 bits. Sunshine reported her bad uncle yesterday, two zebra sympathizers today, and will report another tomorrow. If half of the ponies she reported are proven to be zebra sympathizers, how many bits will she receive at the end of the week? A dark shadow formed on the blackboard, and then bulged, pressing through it. A shadowy cloud that reached in through the wall like a grasping claw. I froze, trying to process what I was seeing. The shadow cloud grew moving towards us, splitting into multiple flowing tendrils. The unhallowed hum was coming from it, growing louder. The lights began to dim, like the thing was devouring the illumination in the room. One tendril curled down, passing through a desk, totally insubstantial. Tail of it pulled out of the chalkboard, the thing fully in the room with us. I tried to kick on sats, but my targeting spell faltered, unable to lock on. The rocket from Steelhoof's battle saddle arrowed past me, moving through the shadow cloud as if it really was just a shadow. The rocket struck the far wall in a loud explosion of fire, dust and colourful debris. The blowback knocked me down, toppled bookshelves and threw a table. The shadowy cloud barely reacted, its tendrils still reaching out towards each of us. I skittered back, away from the sneaking shadow, certain of what would happen if it touched me. They eat your soul. 
Our weapons were useless against this creature. No armor would stop it, and I was no longer surprised that all the steel rangers who had made it this far had perished here. Bavadramadi cast her shield, wrapping the shadow cloud in her magic. It pressed its tendrils against the wall of the shield, the shadow molding over the surface, unable to get through. Velvet Remedy had contained it. No, them. The shadow was a form of tiny, jet-black necrosprites. They could pass through solid objects, but not through magic fields. I shuddered, shakily releasing a breath that I didn't realize I was holding. I'll keep them contained, Velvet said. You go on ahead. Pylite landed on her rump, insistent on staying. We nodded and ran off, leaving her holding the swarm. The book was here, in this room. I could feel it. I had been in Rarity's personal office before. It was much the same, although gnawed on by the teeth of time. A dress pony stood in one corner next to an ornate chest. There was a note attached to the chest, written in Rarity's elegant script. Thoughts on the dress. The goal is to create elegant yet functional armour of a moderate weight and classic style. I've chosen a colour scheme of amaranthine gold that harkens back to the dress that my beloved friends created for me the first gala so long ago. In honour of my dearest and closest friend, I'm drawing on my best skills at haute couture. The armoured plating, particularly over the breast, will draw inspiration from the armour worn by the royal guards. I've woven a little magic into the dress. Although only the metal plating will stop bullets, cloth should hold well up against bladed weapons as well as being resistant to wear and tear and general dirtying that I have come to expect from a battlefield or a gala. I jested that I might make the final version indestructible, but it was only a joke. I did, after all, tell Applejack that I would do no such thing. And besides, the reaction from my top magician would have likely been enough to put me off the idea if I had been serious. He was right, of course, with what I have done. I most likely do not have enough of a soul left to even spare a little of it. Anyway. I am very pleased with my first pass, but then the final dress needs to be even better, beyond mere perfection. The Grand Galloping Gala is still months away, so even with all the insanity here, I do have plenty of time. It is my most sincere hope that most, if not all, of my friends will be at the event this year. If so, I hope to convince them to allow me the honour of fashioning each of them a similar, yet unique, elegant, Ministry Mayor armoured dress. Normally, the gala would not be the venue I would choose to show off the first of what I hope will be a new line of fashionable armour. But this year, Pinkie Pie is finally living her dream and has been put in charge of the event. So really, all bets are off. I floated at my screwdriver and a bobby pin, picking the lock on the chest with relative ease. Opening it, I laid eyes on the armoured dress. It was beautiful. I thought you said the book was in the desk, Calamity said, flying up from behind me. What, Nelly? Yeah, I whispered, pulling the armoured dress out and looking it over. Uh, little Pip? Calamity said timidly. Could, uh, could I have that? I didn't know you liked to wear dresses. Steelhooves intoned as he joined us. Calamity spun around in the air. I don't, he insisted. It's for a velvet. I snickered as Steelhooves neighed mockingly. Of course you can, Calamity. She'll look exquisite in it. I passed the dress to Calamity and moved to the desk. I closed my eyes, drawing on the memory of how Rarity had opened the secret compartment. One of the gems embedded in the front of the desk concealed the lock. Opening my eyes, I extended my magic over the desk, moving aside the gem. I began to pick the lock, 
This time, just using my magic, the lock was deceptively easy to pick, almost like the compartment wanted to be opened. I slid open the hidden compartment. There, laying amongst the papers and detritus like a sleeping dragon, was the dark tome, perfectly preserved, its ancient pages filled with the most powerful and forbidden magic between the covers of the blackest leather. I reached out with my magic. I felt a cold shock as I touched it with my meager ability, the book promising to unlock greater powers and mysteries than I had ever dreamed of. I didn't have to be a one-trick unicorn anymore. With this book, I could be magic if I wanted to, powerful enough that I was worthy of being a bearer of that element. It was mine. End of part two. <laughs> this has taken far longer to tell than I thought it would, folks. Time for me to take another break. Now here's some music while I give my voice a little rest. Come back for part three soon. Here's the Wasteland Whalers with Step Around. Enjoy, people. Sure. 